Now, we're up to our long-distance dedication. And this one is about kids and pets and a situation that we can all understand, whether we have kids or pets or neither. It's from a man in Cincinnati, Ohio, and here's what he writes. Dear Casey, this may seem to be a strange dedication request, but I'm quite sincere, and it'll mean a lot if you play it. Recently, there was a death in our family. He was a little dog named Snuggles, but he was most certainly a part of... Let's go start again. From coming out of the record. Play the record, okay? See, when you come out of those up-tempo goddamn numbers, man, it's impossible to make those transitions. And then you got to go into somebody dying. You know, they do this to me all the time. I don't know what the hell they do it for, but goddamn it, if we can't come out of a slow record, I don't understand it. Is Don on the phone? Okay, I want a concerted effort to come out of a record that isn't a up-tempo record every time I do a damn death dedication. This is a god last time I want somebody to use his brain to not come out of a record that is uh, that, that's up tempo and I got to talk about a dog dying welcome to the basement it's the classic guitar rock podcast atomic batteries to power turbines to speed ready to move us always start I'd like to say something reason why you shouldn't have complete confidence in your chances to come out of this thing alive in one piece from coast to coast from border to border from one end to the other and all points in between the classic guitar rock podcast is on yes that's awesome we crank up and break down the great guitar driven rock of the 60s 70s and 80s and you are invited to come along we got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. And now, your host, Jeremy Lunnan. Yeah, we don't know anything about that fellow there. Who is he? Where's he coming from? It's time for the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Super excited for today's episode. We have back with us my friend and partner in crime, JR Stanton. JR, how are you? Doing well. Again, just happy to be here. It's always enjoyable to talk about the past and live through the, relive the 80s. Relive the 80s. That's right. JR was on for our episode on the cult. JR knew more about the cult than I did. That's why I had to have him here. And I had so much fun. I wanted to have him back on here. And he probably knows more about rap than I do too. But we're going to talk about rat and we're going to jump right into it. There's a lot to unpack on this uh, episode, JR, there's a lot as we dig in and look at it. And there, to be honest, a lot of stuff I had completely forgotten about, and we'll jump in and talk about that. But, but first, before we get started, just a few housekeeping things. Uh, I've mentioned the classic guitar rock countdown show that's available only on Spotify premium, but, but that's where we actually count down songs and you, we can actually play the songs. It's a lot of fun. We've got three episodes up and there'll be another one up here shortly, but that's over on the Spotify premium. If you have that, you can check that out. And then also I mentioned last week, our webpage is now live. It's at classicguitarrock.com and it's cool. It looks really cool. There's some fun stuff there. Obviously you can get all the episodes there. There's also additional things. You can sign up for the newsletter. 
So there's uh, cool stuff going on. So, uh, JR, I would invite you to check out the website also. Well, I'll have to be honest with you, Jeremy. I've already been there. Uh, I will say this. uh, You know, I like what what you've done here. And I think that a lot of people our generation can can identify with that. So I I wasn't hesitant at all to to kind of spread the word, so to speak, because uh, I think there's a lot of value in, in reflecting back to, again, where did what you know where is music going to i think it's been done it's been done before us certainly in other uh, avenues as well but i think nothing invites um the the insightfulness of a podcast to to put your unique brand on it and and uh jeremy that relationship you and i had revisiting some of that also brings back those life and time sorts of scenarios and really that's the avenue there for the podcast to, to cover that and bring those those uh, relevant music things back. Well, thank you. And and what you said about podcasts, and this is what's cool about podcasts. So this is just a plug for podcasts in general, right? Podcasts allow for you to have a conversation at a level much different than any other medium I can think of. And, and that's cool. And so like you mentioned, for someone that's into this type of music or whatever topic it is, it is a lot of fun. And I have to thank JR because he's he's a very big promoter of the podcast on social media. It's great. So it's really cool. So I want to jump right in and tell an embarrassing story if I can. So you go right ahead, Jerry. Okay, okay. And you correct me if I'm wrong. But this well, is mem- memories, memories are somewhat better left unturned, but we'll let you go there. This is the way I remember. A few observations at, at JR's expense. Uh, number one, we already mentioned the fact that Jr. was uh, kind of a, a cutting edge in terms of hairstyles, right? <laughs> and I think there were a few times where you were kind of sporting a Stephen Piercy. Oh, yeah, you went there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. I remember that. You know, um, uh, <laughs> that was. I, I admit. Yeah. Yeah, I that I had a hard influence with the the rock, and I think sometimes when you don't have the the skill set to play or shred, <laughs> it's really important to look like you yeah, can. Yeah, that's right. Make it till you make it, so, to, right. so to speak. If you if you can't play, at least look like you can. Look like you can shred. Yeah. But I can remember you had the little kind of off to one side, the curly I, in the front. The I, I had it cut specifically. In fact, it was my cousin that did my hair that, that and, uh, and he, now granted, he is a, 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 a very artistic hairdresser. I'm yeah, not, I've been to, I've not been pitting to, that down. This is Brent, your cousin, Brent, yeah, my cousin, Brent, I've been to Brent's and I was there <laughs> once when you were getting, I don't remember if it was the Stephen Piercy you were getting at that point or a flock of seagulls or whatever. It could have been a, a little bit, a mix of both. I think I was going for a fusion at that moment. And, and, you know, I, I, to tell you the truth, here's what I said. I like the least lead singer from rat. I like something a little bit like that. I also like uh, Mad Max Mel Gibson. So, uh, we did a fusion, and if you might remember that they bleached the side of my my hair uh, on each side, much like Mel Gibson sported with the Road Warrior, which I was, you know, again I was, and when we're impressionable, I was impressionable. Yeah. I I thought um, I thought you know the only way that, that I was going to be accepted as a true rat fan and innovator, somebody who was on early, yeah. was to mimic the, the style, and and I think you know 
don't they say that that's like the greatest flattery? That's uh, right. That noise yeah. work as well as well. What it what it sounds like. I'm surprised he let me walk out of the salon like that. But anyway, hey, you know you were and you were always on the cutting edge. We all admired you for that for your sheer uh, bravery. So here's another thing. So summer of '85, right? This is right after we graduated. And, and correct me if I'm getting this wrong. Summer of '85, Rat came to our hometown lot in oklahoma played in the great plains coliseum which is just a little box you know I, what's yeah. the capacity there 800 people well, uh, and that's pushing it okay um you know and we were part we were packed in there too we were packed in there and this is in the days of general admission oh yeah. they don't do those very much hmm. so a couple things here first of all jr tell us tell us how we won free tickets well, uh, you know, I, the re- local radio station, uh, Andy Savage is, was the, the DJ at the time. And I mean, in at that time frame, you lived and died by what he played. Yeah. Uh, they sponsored a contest, a poster contest. And I felt like I had, you know, mad artistic skills. You I did. Felt like, you know, I could pretty much generate whatever we wanted. Um, I know that, that you and I had collaborated on other pieces pieces before uh, uh and and to some degree of success yeah so i knew i could draw the rats uh we came up with the concept I, i'm not sure if i can take full credit on the concept i think that was a shared i think we'd have to give a byline for jeremy and it was a cooperative to yeah. enter the poster contest uh yeah. so we get this warren d martini guitar we cover it with rats going up the neck and and doing a pretty good job of, of trying to strum the the strings but still natural not not yeah. characters that's and right. um, that was our submission. It was colored. It was graphic. It, it, we yeah. both had a background in graphic arts because of uh, being in newspaper together. But I thought we did an excellent job. I thought it turned out good. So so yeah. I drew, and, and I can't, how can I best describe it? It was the, to me, the most iconic Warren Martini guitar that has kind of like part of the Japanese flag at the back. And then there it's like black at the back, white at the front. It seemed like there was some Chris Very bonsai, lines, bonsai so, looking. So, so I had I had years of experience of drawing electric guitars during class at school, just over and over. <laughs> so that's what you were doing. That's right. So we just made it a little bigger. We drew this big Charvel Jackson style guitar. Jr. drew the rats running up and down the neck, and it looked. Re- I mean, the rats were like you said. It looked like really natural animated you know, rats, these were not caricature. Funny uh, I, I, you know, again, I think the rats were probably what pushed it over the I edge. Think so uh, totally. the guitar was iconic for, for, for Warren D Martini, easy to pick out, but it was imperative that we win this contest because yeah. the money factor, you know, I wasn't better. <laughs> right. We could tickets, tickets. So, so we win tickets. So JR and I win tickets. We're at the hot, this was hot, humid, muggy, I'm not sure there's even AC in the Great Plains. No, I don't think there, at that time, there definitely wasn't air conditioning. It's just, you're in a concrete box down on the floor, you know, where they do the rodeo or whatever. It's just concrete. Then you got seats around on on the two sides. There aren't seats at the far end at the back. No, no. Host basketball and rodeo as well. So uh, only, only. On the uh, sides. Yeah, on the sides. So, so general admission. So of course. JR and I are both, you know, scrappy enough that we wriggled our way right to the front. So we got there early too, man. We got there early. We're on the front. And here's, here's my funniest memory of that show. We're lined up right in front of Robin Crosby. We're on the Robin Crosby side. 
which oh, yeah. I kind of wanted to be on the Warren side. But anyways, yep. yes, we're right in front of Robin. And and when we say right in front, meaning like we could almost reach up and touch the guy. I mean, he's he's yeah. got a yeah. floor monitor. There wasn't a whole lot of room. I mean, he's probably. No, there wasn't much distance. There was us. And I mean, there was enough room for a security guard to walk by the gate in front of you, stand in front of you. And that was it. So he's right there. And by the way, if you've never done a general admission concert, never been on the front row, it's a completely different experience when you're on the front row, right? Mm -hmm. Because you feel like, you know, they make eye contact with you. You know, they look at you, they talk between songs, you hear what they're saying, it's cool, right? It was really cool. So here's, and you have to correct me if I'm remembering this wrong. No, so I think you're going the, the direction I remember. There's a rush of bodies pushing back and forth, pushing back and forth. And so I'm a little taller than JR. Okay. I'm, I'm about, you're significantly taller. I'm yeah. about six feet. You're, are you five, seven, I'm, five, eight? I'm five, six. Five, six. Okay. Five, six. So JR, it, but JR is, is wide muscular husky thin waist broad yeah think, think yeah think bulldog bulldog yeah but he's yeah. a tough guy right but he's a little shorter than me so i'm i we're all kind of nestled in there and you know over the course of the concert you know how it is at a concert some someone shoves their way in and then so it's not like jr jr and i are standing right next to each other the whole time i mean there's times we are there's times we started out six feet apart from each other depending on well i look over one time and JR's got this girl. I have no idea who she is. Neither of us knew her. No, nope, didn't know her. He's got this girl on his shoulders. And I'm like, dude, what's going on? Okay. And I, I just think that's funny. And there's this girl on his shoulders. Yeah. And I, then I look back later and there's a different girl on JR's <laughs> shoulders. We don't know either of them. And no. But there were some ulterior motives there, uh, Jeremy. Did you notice that that we got Stephen Piercy over to our side of the stage with one of those particular girls? Oh, I, uh, she wanted to reach and grab his hand. She about right. broke my neck in the process. That's right. that's I think right. you might remember that. Um, and by this time, I'm enjoying, you know, one of the benefits or, or side effects, I guess, contact wise <laughs> of, the, of the whole front row experience, which yeah. is, you know, this haze of, of smoke. Yeah. And uh, I'm thinking, are we going to get to touch the guys on the sketch? No, <laughs> I wasn't tall enough. But, you know, I will tell you that the young lady on my neck was able to sufficiently hold Stephen Piercy's hand as yeah. well as receive a pick and some other items. Oh, yeah. But yep. I felt good about that uh, at the time. My neck probably is yeah. probably I couldn't have done it, you know, because just <laughs> holding someone on your shoulders is not easy, not for that long. So no, for the entire set. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's like uh, it was just and, and, and the, the other girl was her friend. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever get their names? No, but I got their numbers. <laughs> I think I left that with a pick. I think I got one of Robin's picks. Yes, you, yeah. you and I both. Yeah, I still I have mine. That. So, anyways, a fond, a fond memory of that concert. Uh, just a good, good memory, and and it was a lot of fun. It was, and oddly enough, I got to see Rat again mm-hmm. uh, in Tulsa at the fairgrounds. Right, and right. Uh, you know, I have to say, the girl on the neck thing worked out again because I walked away <laughs> with uh, Warren D. Martini's autograph. There you go. I didn't get to meet Warren, but I got his autograph. And I also have that along with the pick. I'm not sure, again, us guys have the same opportunities as the females in these, yeah, in particular at that exactly. time. So, hey, tell us who opened for Rat when you saw them in Tulsa. 
you know, it's a, a little known uh, act called Bon Jovi. Yes. John Bon Jovi. So you know, this is this is interesting. And when we're we'll come back and talk more about this, but this is interesting. And this just shows you how big Rat was in 1985, right? Bon Jovi was opening for them. So this is pre-slippery when wet before oh, yeah. Bon Jovi broke. But that's how big Rat was at this time. In 85, 86, Rat was huge. Yep. And Bon Jovi was was no slouch. And right. but you're right. It just had to do with the, the order, the chronological order in which they hit. And, and I probably there are, might be some listeners who would who readily can grab a, uh, you know, John Bon Jovi and say, I can't, you know, this is icon. He's big, bigger than rat. Some would argue that that's the case. But in that time, that that point in history wasn't. And I think, again, that he went on to make bigger venues, <laughs> too, because I will tell you that Tulsa's venue wasn't that much bigger. It was slightly bigger than the Lawton, um, but again, uh, a smaller venue. And it was good to see bands out in, you know, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Lawton, Oklahoma. Who, right. th- yeah, who thinks to, to book a tour that direction? Exactly. Exactly. So when we come back, we're going to dig into rap, their history, the highs, the lows, uh, and there's a lot to talk about here. So stay tuned, sit back, relax, And when we come back, let's talk about rap. It's all coming up on the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Attention, if you live in Spokane, Washington and have teeth, this message is for you. Braun and Jarvis Family Dentistry knows teeth. Incisors, bicuspids, canines, molars. No tooth is too big or too small. I was delighted and impressed. So impressed, I bought the company. With Braun and Jarvis, you'll have the sweetest grill in the inland northwest. And let's be honest, nobody wants a funky grill. Braun and Jarvis Family Dentistry. 509-464-2391. That's 509-464-2391. Braun and Jarvis Family Dentistry. Quality dentistry that doesn't suck. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If it's too loud, you're too old. Well, let's be honest, you're probably too old anyway. The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. We're here again this week with my friend J.R. Stanton as we talk about the history of rat and you know it's been fun the last couple weeks i knew this was coming up and Mm -hmm. so you know i've i've listened to out of the cellar and uh invasion of your privacy all of that stuff lots but to be honest i haven't really listened to much after that i mean i knew the hits way cool junior you know other stuff 
I, I never really dug deep, but but just an observation right off the bat. Hmm. Rat, a, a couple things, right? Number one, more than any of those LA, and I'll call them hair bands, right? I don't mean that as a derogative oh. term. That's what it is, right? It's hair metal, right? And and when I think of the big four, you've got Motley Crue, you've got Poison, you've got Dawkins, you've got Rat. You got Cinder, Cinderella from LA. I think they are Cinderella. You know, you've, you've, you've got a number of them. Surprisingly, and I, I did a little survey, non-scientific, but on my Twitter, I did a little survey this past week. And I said, okay, we got this rat episode coming up of your, you know, of the four big hair metal bands of the early to mid eighties. Who's your favorite? And I was not surprised. Motley Crue won, but they won by a landslide. And, and second place was Poison, and then tied for third and fourth, way down at the bottom, was Dawkin and Rat. Mm-hmm. That sounds and about right. It, it, it does from a, from a commercial standpoint. From a music standpoint, I would flip that completely around. And, and one of the things that set Rat apart to me, and you could say the same about mm-hmm. Dawkin, is, and I don't mean to be rude, but I mean... Warren D. Martini kicks the crap out of Mick Mars or C.C. DeVille. George Lynch kicks uh, the crap have out to of either of those. So for a guitar nerd like myself, I'm absolutely going to gravitate towards Rat and Dawkin. But it was interesting. And it wasn't even close, JR. I mean, it was like Motley Crue got like 85% of the vote. Poison got like 15 And then Rat and Dawkin got like percent or whatever that I know and, that doesn't add up I, I think that's interesting because I, I would go based on my name recognition it's like, kind of like popularity vote sort of yeah. thing it's it's not the person with the most substance that wins class president sometimes sure. you know it's the people who, who know the most people so right. um I don't think that the substance is always what gets you there but uh, I'd have to agree with you I knew where you were going with that and yeah. and uh I think that when when it goes back to Warren Demartini and what he did on his fretwork, you know, except that it's, there's a very, you can definitely tell how, uh, how the, the music turned when Demartini's playing, you yeah. know, the, the guitar and that's kind of a signature. Yeah. And it's interesting yeah. because I think that, that uh, there's an argument that said that, that Jakey Lee and Warren Demartini had kind of melded techniques over a, a session, uh, uh, actually a, uh, more than just one session and and I may be getting ahead of myself here but but uh I think that they said it was interesting that you when you have two uh guitarists to that level collaborating uh in in a small room that they do trade a lot of the, their talent and may walk away with a little piece of each in them and and that if that's true then yeah I mean yeah. we we get uh the benefit of both yeah, and and I'm I'm glad you mentioned Jakey e. Lee because he he plays a part in the history of Rat. He was actually at one point a member of Rat, one of the early incarnations of Rat. Rat Rat starts out actually in San Diego, and the the original band and jump in and correct me was called Mickey Rat. There's Mickey Rat, Mickey yeah. Rat. Stephen Piercy was in that band. At some point, Jakey e. Lee, I don't know if Jakey e. Lee was in Mickey Rat or in when they were later called Rat, but he was part of that band at some point. Mm-hmm. So they moved to L.A. So Stephen mm-hmm. Piercy and Robin Crosby, I don't think they hooked up until they were both in L.A. Mm-hmm. So they go to L.A. 
And I can't remember if it was Steven or Robin that knew Warren and Warren was in San Diego and they call him up and they say, and he's still in high school. So he's still in high school. Well, say, I, yeah. Yeah. And they say, Hey dude, you got to come up here and join. It's way, way more hopping scene here in LA than in San Diego. And Warren's like, well, yeah, maybe after this semester is over and I'm done with school. And they're like, no, man, you got to come tonight. You know? <laughs> and so, so he, he wound up going up there. I don't know if it was that night, but soon he went right up and he never came back. Right. No, so, he was, but he was hesitant. He, he was, was hesitant. I'm not, which kind of goes with the idea that, you know, Hey, am, am I really going to put my, my college career on hold for this and such? And in the way I heard it, uh, Jakey Lee was actually the one that recommended uh, Warren D. Martini. I, okay. I remember that. Okay. And, uh, and, and in fact, because they already had some, uh, some things lined up, on some of the songs that had been played with Mickey Rat, there were some songs that were in development that they brought over into Rat. The collaboration occurred because Jakey's on the way out and he's going to Ozzy, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so he wants to bring, he doesn't want to do harm to the band. I, I don't know the, the intricacies of that, but but it, the word has it, he was in a room with Warren and they were hammering out some of the songs so that Warren would you know feel comfortable oh. jumping up on stage or doing whatever he needed to do to, 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 to slip into that spot. Interesting. And all this is coming back together because I can remember you know, back in the eighties, right. Reading the inner, the guitar magazines with Warren. And, and I'm remembering all this now that you mention it, the relationship between him and Jake. And that's really, you got, okay, here's, here's my, my big three of the LA hair metal guitarists, right. I'm not going to include, you know, you got Van Halen, but Van Halen was they're 78, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're five years early. They were, they kind of started to open the door, but I don't lump them in. Right. Mm -hmm. But you had, you had Jake, you had uh, George Lynch, Warren D Martini. Right. And obviously also a little earlier and he kind of helped kick it open. That was Randy Rhodes. Uh, but the other members of the band, right. We talked about Robin, Robin, they called him King, Robin King Crosby. And surprisingly, in the early days of the band, he was kind of the leader. He was like the leader of the band. And that's why they called him King. Six foot six, you know, big guy, good looking guy. Remember who his girlfriend was? Uh, Tawny Katane. Tawny Katane. They both moved up together from San Diego. You know, boyfriend, girlfriend in high school. They both moved up from San Diego to L.A. Uh, and of course, Tawny later will appear on the front cover of, well, both the EP. That's her leg on the yep. EP. And that's her on out of the out, cellar. Out of the cellar. So and, yeah, and interestingly enough, you think about uh, you, you got to think it was kind of hard for Robin because he's this. I mean, he towers over everyone on the right. stage. Yeah, but uh, you know, it's interesting. I think that you're right about his pivotal role. In fact, you hear Stephen Piercy mention it in, in later interviews that that uh, Robin was such a power uh, powerful influence on how the direction of the band went. And Warren says that too. Right. Warren says that that he looked up to to, to Rob and, and um, in some ways uh, it, that helped uh, improve the way he played. Now, I think that there's probably a contrast mm -hmm. to the level of commitment. I, you know, I'm not a, a, as a avid guitar player as, as you are, but um, you know, to me, 
it, it's almost like Robin got to the point where he could, you know, his, his melodies and his songwriting and such was at a tier that, that he had great innovation. Mm-hmm. Whereas Warren uh, took over in a, in a more of a commanding style, how he put the riffs down. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, in the, and we see it on round and round, remember the video they they would do the dueling guitar parts. We'll get into this more, but as it progressed, and that was one of the, uh, one of the points of contention was the fact that, Warren was overshadowing Robin in terms yeah. of because because the guitar magazines weren't calling Robin Crosby. No, we want to interview, you know, but Warren but, was getting all the press. But Warren had got one of the the amateur. He got a lot of amateur recognition uh, at the college. He wasn't you know, it was the reason he was so attractive to, to rat was because he'd already received several local accolades. He was, yeah. he, the first time he was even nominated, he was already recognized as such a talent there in San Diego that he, he didn't, you know, there were other options. There were things, um, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't locked in to a path that, that required rat necessary. Cause there, there was a chance that he could have gone a different route with the level of Absolutely. talent because he was getting exposure before that. And that's why he was the obvious choice. And I think that's why, you know, you know, Jakey Lee goes, okay, I know this guy. Yeah. He, this he's guy. really, he's really something else. And this is a kid. Yeah. He was, <laughs> he said, that was the hard part. Yeah. This is the kid. Yeah. Another person that's important is Ron, uh, Ron, Juan Crucier. Mm-hmm. who's the bass player. Now I did not know this until I did start digging into this for this episode. I knew he'd been in Dawkin. So that mm-hmm. first Dawkin album, breaking the chains, that's Juan Crucier. In fact, there's a cool video on YouTube from Dawkin live in Germany. They're playing in a club in Germany, like in 82. And Juan is in the band at that point. He was later replaced by Jeff Pilsen. In fact, in the breaking the chains video, Jeff Pilsen's in the video. Oh, you're but, kidding me. But it was actually Crucier who plays on that album. Crucier had a very important role. And I didn't know this either. He actually joined Quiet Riot for a short time before Randy left to join Ozzy. So Juan hmm. actually played with Randy Rhodes for a short time in Quiet Riot, which I, I was not aware of. But Juan, uh, and I, I was saying this to... Uh, jr before we started recording in all the interviews i've seen the 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 two guys that seem like they're the most on the ball in terms of you know i I hate to say the smartest guys i'm sure none of them are dummies right but but the two that seem to be the most introspective and thoughtful about the whole thing are juan and warren Mm -hmm. when you see them in their interviews they're very they're they're just very well spoken right they're articulate. They seem to be thinking about what's going to come out of their mouth before they say it. Exactly. And I don't think we get the sense from the other members of the no. band that that's the case. Steven and Bobby Blotz are both are not that way. <laughs> yeah. And, and later on, uh, later on, it, it becomes more and more. Evident. Absolutely. Right. And that's one of the things. And, and the, the overarching story with rat, they didn't get along. There was a lot of fighting and turmoil and bickering and arguing. And they, and as Stephen Piercy said, they were all just fried. They were all fried figuratively, <laughs> literally, literally, physically, <laughs> emotionally. They were fried. He, the, the, he also goes on to say some things, though, too, yeah, go ahead. about what that fried component led to. He, he, he says that that bone of contention and that conflict is what drove the melody, that mm-hmm. drove the music. 
He said almost, you know, sometimes you can't come up with this stuff when everything's harmonic, uh, harmonious. It's it's only in this the acrimonious moments that you go, okay. We're, we're, and plus, there was still some ideas about where the direction of the band would go. So that struggle actually created uh, some of, well, at least in Piercy's mind, uh, some of the success. And I think so. It, it's almost a, a deadly blessing, and yeah. that you you have this creativity. And 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 it drives the 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 quality of the sound, and yet it's probably going to drive you apart at yeah, some point. Exactly, and rise rise up. Another thing that was very interesting interesting in the formation, and I think this is a lot of Robin's influence. They were very deliberate. This is eighty three, eighty four, eighty two is when they're making noise locally in eighty two, right? But. They didn't mm-hmm. really break on the scene for the rest of us in the middle of the country, right? Till like 84. And then after Out of the Cellar came out, we go back. I remember, JR, you had the EP. I remember you had the EP album, right? With the yeah, with the rats climbing up the girls. I never had the EP. Yeah, I had to get that, man. But one of the things, and they were very deliberate about this, and they, they will tell you this. You know, at the time you had Motley Crue was still, you know, Too Fast for Love, still very... Leather and Spikes, Judas Priest, Leather exactly. and Spikes, you know, and you'd go to metal shows then and you couldn't see a girl, <laughs> you know, it was, no. all, it was all guys, <laughs> right? All metalheads. Metal, right. But, but Rat made the concerted effort that we are going to appeal to the female audience. And so they're a little more glam, you know, they look a little like they're wearing their sister's, you know, leotards, right? There's, that was just kind of the look kind of the la scene thing right don't you think that helped drive that and yeah and look who came out you know poison cinderella they all had then took on that more glammy look and even motley Crue kind of became more glammy uh but but that was that was a a deliberate plan that rat had as they wanted to appeal to women and and one of the you know you talk about wild rock and roll debauchery and rat was as bad or worse than just about anyone. Uh, or as good, depending on how you look at that. I think that uh, one, uh, one news, one rock and roll news uh, print actually credits Rat to putting, you know, the sex in, in, in the, into rock and roll. Right. Uh, and I, again, because I think maybe because of the way, t- you know, Tony Katane uh, went ahead and, and drove uh, some of the other, album covers if you notice the next following album cover and and uh and several of the others always involves some kind of something sexual and also yeah. provocative yeah. and it set the tone for a lot of the the bands that were coming out now the thought would be that that you know if you look this way you get the lead singer or the lead guitar so you you have an attractiveness for for the, 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 again very thought provoked we're going to we're going to pursue this and you're going to widen uh, margins but again did i mention i had a girl on my neck <laughs> <laughs> there there was a lot of girls showing up to the and they were dressed just like tony katane and some yeah. of the and you're you know you're trying to to emulate your rock hero or or such did strike a nerve because the the attendance had to have gone up at that point yeah. with with that and they had equally as much hairspray it's yeah exactly <laughs> totally and wore some of the same clothes probably exactly but here's the other thing and i i tried to make this point earlier and i and i forgot to make it 
I, I said, I've listened to out of the cellar a bunch. I've listened to the EP, not quite as much, but out of cellar, out of the cellar, a bunch invasion of your privacy, a bunch. And what impresses me, even on the later albums is rat is very good at writing hooks. Their songs are all catchy. You know, they all, and, and here's the thing that's interesting. And I don't, I don't mean this as a slam, but Stephen Piercy is not a great singer and you really hear it where it's, where he's really vulnerable is on slow songs. He, the mm-hmm. dude does not sound good on slow songs, but he's got though very narrow, though it's a very narrow range that he works in. You can't imagine rat with any other voice than his. No, that's no, I agree sound. with that. And, that's and, and you got to give, give him credit. I don't think that he, uh, he tries to own more than what he can, although he does fall short sometimes. And you're, right. you're forgiving that in a lot of cases because of the music. But again, when you, when you have somebody on stage next to you that can whip out a solo that makes you forget the, you know, the last bad note uh, on the vocal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, it, it, the thing of it is, is that uh, Stephen had a lot enough of the, enough talent surrounding him in rap that, that we're willing to forgive a lot. And, and, yeah. you know, he, I think that, my dad would always say they're they're not singing they're screaming well sometimes it was necessary to scream <laughs> that's right that was, <laughs> you know you could, if you can't if, if that's where you were in that I, I i don't know what that looks like on sheet music but right. but, yeah, but it was necessary and at the time he sounded unlike anyone else i mean he had a very mm-hmm. unique vocal delivery and even the later albums you know the detonator album and all these albums that came later they're still really good. And I mm-hmm. think a lot of times you can make the case that the bands got crappier. That's why mm-hmm. they lost popularity. I think the music industry, the landscape changed. Rat was still doing what they did in 1984 with mm-hmm. some slight variations. I think the work, the quality is still there. It's just that mm-hmm. that wasn't what was selling at the time. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in fact, it catered to, I think it catered to the, their, their following. If you're a rat fan and a rat fan for life, you, they were going to deliver you that sound yeah. and, and, and pretty much similar lyrics too. very hooked, <laughs> yeah. driven. If it's, you know, and, and, and that's what you're wanting. I mean, sometimes the, the, the being familiar with what you, you know, your hero is going to belt out is somewhat soothing and comforting, especially if that's when I turn on rat, that's what I want to hear. Mm-hmm. I didn't want a, a, a slow ballad and, and, you know, for their, to their credit, they didn't provide they it. Do a whole uh, lot sometimes. of times. Yeah. No, they but, didn't do a whole lot. But when and, they do, you're like, Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> again, I don't think they're known for that, yeah. but I, they did have to explore. And I think that's interesting because that was Bobby Blotzer's main contention. He didn't like to keep revisiting the, the hits uh, when you listen to what what he said about Rat and the progression, and we talk about those disagreements, he wanted stuff that was B side. He said our B sides were B sides were not B sides. They were they were quality music. They weren't what they wanted to hear. Uh, it didn't. And when we, I would I would argue. He said I would argue to get it on the set. Stephen would come back and tell me they didn't get the cr- the crowd appeal that they were looking for, and. Some of the other, uh, he didn't say Warren, but I guess it may have been Juan as well, didn't see or foster the need to put that in or include that in the set. And so already you're, you're seeing 
uh, lyric, I mean, song choices for concerts being governed by what's what's popular and what did they hit with. This is what the fans want to hear. And and then you have Bobby Blotzer saying, no, we should be we should be growing. Yeah. And, and yeah, ultimately, maybe that's part of the, the thing that happened. And I think I, I tend to agree with him because when I listen to Out of the Cellar, I'm trying to think if there's an exception. I, nothing's coming to mind. Every single song on that album is solid. Every single song on that album, in my mind, could have been a hit had they released yeah. it. You know, they, they didn't release all of them. They, they had Round and Round. They have Wanted Man, Back for More. You know, those those were all successful. But but there are other great songs on that album and the Invasion album. Yeah, and, and, and Bobby's saying, hey, we need to play those. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and again, to Stephen's credit he wants to get the cheers and throw the recognition this is yeah. what the crowd wants yeah. that's what they paid for so I, I obviously that may have been part of the the thing that created tension uh not but you know besides the actual lyric writing and in melody you have people who are who can't even agree or agreeing to disagree or ultimately just uh, separating over items like that where, where hey, uh, I think we need to go this direction. And I think that ended up being their undoing is there was too much divergence uh, and, and some power, you know, yeah. willpower that said, hey, let's let's go this direction. And isn't that what happens to a lot of bands as well? But- the old creative differences, right? Yeah, that mm-hmm. happens. So, and I want to dig into that a little bit more. And I also want to dig into the tragic story of Robin Crosby. And we'll do all that when we come back. So stay put. We're not just a couple of middle-aged fat guys talking about classic rock. We're going bald, too. It's the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Welcome back, and thanks for joining us today on the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. We've got J.R. Stanton with us, and we are revisiting Rat. And J.R. and I were both big fans of Rat. We were both big. I can remember spending lots of time, and J.R. shared a a big room. He and his brother Steve, Steve's only a grade ahead, so I hung out with Steve quite a bit too, but they had a large, huge room that was kind of like a combined bedroom and like your your home theater you guys had a home theater before yeah, rec room and entertainment rec room. and service all purposes so we could we could hang out there and listen to the albums i can remember listening to rat quite a bit in there but we were both fans of rat before the break jr mentioned that the turmoil there's a lot of infighting a lot of arguing and let me make a recommendation there's a youtube channel called full in bloom and this guy he interviews mostly producers he'll interview a lot of record producers uh music from this era artists you know members of the band but they're really interesting and he's got a few interviews with bo hill and bo hill is the producer on the first two albums actually maybe the first three and a half albums we'll get into that but he has some very interesting things to say about the band a couple things number one he really liked him he liked all the guys you know and and when you compare <laughs> he's also produced other bands and you'll hear him talk about other bands that were like a pain to work with 
he actually liked working with Rat, but and and he thought he has rave raves about Warren D. Martini about how great Warren D. Martini was. His biggest challenge with Warren was is Warren is a perfectionist, and so you know part of the job, and this would this would become a problem later with Rat. Part of the job of a producer is, yeah, you got to make it sound good, but you got to come in on budget and on time, right? And so sometimes there's clash when you're working with artistic people, right? It's hard to crack the whip and make them move a little quicker. And so Bo several times would, would two, two examples. So there was one case where Warren recorded, I don't remember the song, but Warren recorded this song just first take perfect bo hill said is one of the best guitar solos i've ever heard and warren said oh no no i can do it better and bo's like no dude that's that's the take that's the keeper keep it no it's warren like no i can do it better well the fact of the matter is you're you're limited at that point you are limited in tracks right if everything's already full the only way you can do another take is you record over it so they record over it and guess what he was never, in Bo's opinion, he was never able to play anything that was as good as that first take, where if he would have just left it there, at least in Bo's mind, it would have been better. So so there was some, some I don't want to say frustrations, but that was one of the idiosyncrasies of Warren. He was such a perfectionist, right? And, and, and related to that, and this is funny, their first album, they didn't have any money, right? They had crappy gear. They're coming into the studio to record. And so they they uh, brought this old Marshall head, and the way they record, oftentimes you you know everyone thinks that bands just come together and they play and they record. Well, usually everyone's recorded separately, and so they have this one old Marshall head that Warren and Robin were both going to use, and then Warren said, "Well, we got to get better. We got to get a better amp. We need a." So they go out and find like 10 other Marshall heads and different Marshall cabs. And they're trying all these different permutations of cab and amp to find the perfect sound. And after days and days of messing with this, guess which amp they decided sounded the best. The very <laughs> I'm first the, one. They the very first one. Yes. And so that's just kind of indicative of, of, of what would, would go on specifically with, with Warren. You were going to say something, I think. No, I just thought, uh, had a thought that, that you know, you got to figure that that Robin and, and Warren uh, were probably geared along the same lines to achieve. Because Robin was what we call a patriarch uh, yeah. in, in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and that leaves you wondering, you know, if that if, if his imminent passing or, or leaving of the band left that void for, for Warren that maybe, you know, because, again, um, when you lose uh, any element of any band, it has some kind of impact, has a ripple effect. And I, I think about uh, would Rad have been any different or, or, or had greater success after, after that point? Uh, who knows? Maybe yeah. maybe there was enough mix with Robin. Maybe he was the linchpin that held that band together, and we just didn't give him the credit. I don't know, yeah. but he was certainly a, a big presence on the stage. Yeah, <laughs> in more <laughs> and, ways than one. Yes, and yeah. uh, we know both both Warren and Stephen had uh, big ties. They give a lot of credit to to Robin, and so yeah. that's and that so that the, there's some talent there. And I think Bobby uh, even alludes to that in, in some of his interviews that you you have this mix, but you have more importantly 
uh, a creative side that's going to be gone if, if, if Robin's removed. Right. I, I don't think it really shows up until the later albums, but this fact that Warren is taking a bigger and bigger role. Right. And, mm-hmm. and by the, by like the third album and Bo Hill even says this is he would say, you know, we really should have Warren playing the leads and stuff. And so, so Robin's, input was getting diminished and of course yep. the tragedy is that as all this is happening he's spiraling further and further out of control with the band they all drank they all drank they all were you know partying but they didn't realize that robin had been struggling with heroin for a, a while and it was just getting mm-hmm. worse and worse w- one other thing before we move on and talk about that i, I do want to talk about juan really quick because Bo Hill talks about the process and, and we don't often, in my mind, you think of a producer as the he's sitting in the room and he's with the engineer and he's telling you, try this, try this. But Bo Hill was very hands-on. So like the backing vocals, not Mm -hmm. just with rat, but uh, with other bands he worked with a lot of the backing vocals you hear are Bo Hill. Right. So, so Bo, and here's what he said. He said, all the backing vocals, you know, you see Rat live and they're all, you know, Warren sings and Robin sings. In the studio, the backup vocals were Juan and Bo Hill. Interesting. And, now, yeah. That's something I didn't know. Yep. So Juan and Bo Hill basically did all the background vocals. Live, Juan really holds it together because he does all the high harm. He's a great singer. I mean, he is. The guy's got a great voice. But it, I thought it was interesting to hear that that's Bo Hill. And he said, you, 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 got, you got Bo, you got Juan, and then you mix us together. And we've got this third person here. You know, we combine the two. But that was the, uh, that was the background vocal sound. And that's one of the signature sounds of Rat are the background vocals. And that's actually Bo and, and Juan doing those. So uh, Juan had a pretty significant role. One funny thing from the VH1, the, the face, the, or behind the music, I was going to say face the music, the behind the face music. The music. In is, some cases it might've been. That's right. <laughs> the, the guys all, and, and I remember JR, we noticed this too, is the guys were always making fun of Juan's stage moves. Uh and they had names for all of them. They, and they all go, yeah, there's the helicopter. And they show a clip of him spinning around. There's the, you know, and they show and his, his, the, yeah, his, his, uh, thing. yeah. Um, shark swing, shark, shark swing. Whatever but you, the, uh, <laughs> you know what? I think that that may have been some leftover from Dokken. Cause if you look at some of the things from Dokken, it, it looks yeah, pretty totally. some, some uh, stage antics yeah. or dancing that was very similar to that. But I kind of thought it was because he wanted attention. I mean, here's well, that's what it looks <laughs> was, like, right? Is it's like, yeah, it looked like, it looked like, I mean, this was yeah. back when I was there. I remember distinctly thinking, man, he sure does move around quite a bit over there. And, uh, but I do remember that, that, uh, rocking of the, the yeah. large gregarious movements. So yeah, it's he like was. he was, he danced across stage, and that, but I and, wasn't aware of, see, he was on the other side of the stage too. He was over by, uh, Warren on when we yeah. were at that concert. So I didn't get a good uh, dose, uh, at that time for one. I, I really thought that he, I, did he even uh, play the, uh, behind his head a couple of times? Oh, yeah. he played behind yeah. his head. His, uh, well, see, when you got girls sitting on your shoulders, you don't have peripheral vision. <laughs> that, that's it's point taken. He is straight and forward. Uh, <laughs> <but>. <laughs> it's like blinders, like <laughs> blinders. <right. laughs> 
But anyways, Juan was Juan was pretty important uh, important to the band. But this Bo Bo Hill, okay, and this is so often the case, right? Tom Worman, another producer who's produced Ted Nugent, he's produced Cheap Trick, and a lot of times Bo Hill sometimes gets some of the same abuse that a Tom Worman gets. Uh, that oh you you made us sound too poppy well well maybe but you know this is a multi-platinum album right would you have done it different i must have done something right right so Mm -hmm. so the band it was a love-hate relationship with bo hill so they had bo on the first on out of the cellar they had him again on invasion again invasion very successful not as successful Mm -hmm. as out of the cellar right out of the cellar Mm -hmm. was their biggest Mm-hmm. Asian a little less and then reach for the sky a little less. And then after that, it kind of started. Well, no, no, dancing, yeah. dancing undercover is the third one, right? Yeah. Then reach for the skies. Yeah. And I think it was reach for the sky. That's their fourth, right? Mm-hmm. By Maybe. this time, the band was sick of Bow Hill. They brought in this other producer, Mike Stone, who I think had worked with Pink Floyd only to discover that, Gosh, this Mike Stone is a raging alcoholic, and it was it was affecting his ability to produce the album. And when they sent the first recordings, they always have the record companies always want to hear progress. You know, let's hear what you got so far. When they sent it to it, the record company was mortified. Jr., look up and make sure it's Reach for the Sky that I'm talking about. It is Reach for the Sky, and, and it oh. was uh, uh, you know that's that's the same time. Way Cool Junior, I yes. Want a Woman, uh, yeah. and if, if you remember. When I heard Way Cool Junior, that's not the that's a di- that's a different departure. It worked well for him, yeah. But that's a, di- a different departure. So yeah, you almost think is there someone else behind the boards here? So, and and he, but here's where it's interesting. They have this Mike Stone guy. Is it Mike Stone? Did I have that name right? I think it's Mike Stone. So they have got this other guy. And when the record company hears what they got so far, they are not happy. And in fact, they bring Bo Hill in at the last minute. And have him kind of fix things up, right? And the band was not happy about that. You mentioned Way Cool Jr. I might be unpopular when I say this. That's my least favorite song on that album. But hey, you taught me how to play that. I know. Well, it's you just taught me the little riff. Yeah, but I remember it, that. It's it's not a bad song. It just to me, it it's not that it's a bad song. I just think there's better songs. I want a woman was a great song. I thought that was an awesome song. Yeah, and but, uh, you know, I hate to go back to it. Which one do you think is more commercially successful? Oh, Way Cool Junior. Yeah, and it's what happens is you either grow with your band or you feel like they betray you. Yeah, yeah. That's the way it goes. I was I had already committed to the haircut, yeah. so I was all in. <laughs> so, so when Way Cool when you showed me that riff for Way Cool Junior, I, I went home and practiced, buddy, and I could play it pretty good. And, you know, I didn't earn the whole song. That was right. the problem. Well, me neither. But, I could start, but everyone would, would know when you started <laughs> off. Of that. That's way cool, Junior. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, oh, you can play. Yeah, I can play <laughs> that part. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this is uh, Dancing Undercover, Reach for the Sky. Now, now, at this point, Robin is really spiraling out of control. And there's a tangent, I think, with... I, I liken it this way, and correct me, Jeremy, that as, as Warren's star rises, Robbins falls. It'd make a, gr- a great movie, but yeah. it's, it's tragedy in life. I, I agree. But I think, I think you have to say that the real problem is the drugs. Now, 
you know, all these other things contributed, put him in a state of mind where he felt like he needed the drugs. But that's what's that's what's really sad about this. He gets to a point, and I think it's on the Reach for the Sky tour, where they even show clips of it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. You know, they they use different various tunings. They might have a song where they're tuned to E flat or whatever. And so it's a guitar player and the guitar tech's job, you know, to make sure that you always got the right guitar for the for the song, right? Mm-hmm. So on this tour, this is this is the concert where they couldn't find Robin at the beginning of the show. And Juan is looking around and, and happens to open the door like in a little storage room or something. And there's Robin just chugging a bottle of vodka, just chugging it down. And mm-hmm. he's just wiped out. He comes out and plays. And that's the show where he doesn't get the right guitar and, and he didn't even notice until they get to the dueling, you know, guitar part in round and round or whatever song they were playing where he just sounds dreadful and everyone's looking at each other like, what in the world is going on? And they basically sent him home after that. You can drink or you can be part of the band or you yeah. can do drugs and be part of the band. Yeah. But you're not going to be able to do both effectively. Now, think about this. They bring in a guy to finish the tour. Mm hmm who we all know of Michael Shanker. So Michael Shanker was briefly in rat to finish that tour. How bad a shape are you in when the guy they replace you with is Michael Shanker? (laughs) Because Michael Shanker was you. There are crazy stories about Michael Shanker Mm -hmm. in the, in the, in the late eighties, in the nineties. I mean, that's crazy. I can't even imagine I mean, that, that's just crazy. And I, Michael Schenker is probably my favorite guitar player, but the dude had all kinds of issues in terms of substance abuse. Right. And so mm-hmm. if they felt Michael Schenker was a better option, better solution. Crosby, <laughs> wow. Well, he, he, he knew to grab the right guitar. And when it comes yeah, down to it, when you're on stage, you've got to have the right yeah, instrument in your hand. That's uh, crazy. So you, we could tolerate a certain amount of ingestion of, of drugs and, and such, but when you can't, find your way to the stage That's or right. no longer have a guitar in your hand when yeah. you are. And, uh, and that might be the, the, the clue. And, and it's a shame because it's, you know, you got to figure the peril that goes along with that. I, that's why I was saying, I, I think that when people reach for drugs there, it's usually a crutch for something else. Yeah. And there's nothing worse than having your protege eclipse you. Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't know that that's the story, but it, it you know, from a naive side of, sort of standpoint and being back in that time frame, I remember thinking that, you know, he's an older, more journeyman type uh, player and, and, and he's going to have some amount of, of uh, ego. Right. And when you, sure. when you, if you if you take the ego, what's left? And then people tend to substitute. The, Maybe that's what happened. I don't know. The tragedy. Well, it's all a tragedy. But one and Bo Hill talks about this is even while Robin was still in the band. OK, it was very apparent from, you know, by the third album, Bo will say that that Robin was just out of it. And by this time, by even in even Invasion. The tensions were so high. Steven wouldn't even come in for recording sessions. The, the band would come in, they'd record their parts. Steven would come in later at night or whatever. And, and he would say, well, I'm home writing songs. I can't write songs with you guys all telling me what to do. Right. So that was weird because they're like, where the heck is Steve? Where's our singer? You know, they're there recording. He's not even there. Uh, but, but Bo said that it was very apparent 
that Robin had major problems. And he said there was even one time where Robin comes into his office, I guess, apparently, at a, I don't know if this is at the normal, I don't think it's at the normal studio where they're working, but Bo has an office somewhere else. And Robin just kind of shows up and is hitting him up for money. Dude, you have a couple hundred bucks, just float me a hundred, a few hundred bucks. And he had to go, he had to get some drugs. Mm. And imagine that you lose your source of income, right? And you have a $500 a day habit. And that's where he was, right? He, he was rock bottom and it's really sad on the, you've seen it, the VH1, the behind the music as they're interviewing mm-hmm. Robin. And this is even, he, he went through rehab two or three times, but in this interview, it's just very sad. You know, the state he's in, he's gained a lot of weight. And you're rooting he, for this guy. You're rooting you know. for the guy because he seems like a really cool, likable guy and everyone loved him. Right. That's mm-hmm. why they called him King, but he, he's talking so slow and he just, I mean, it's a struggle to listen because he is so, and God, and it, and it makes me mad. Right. It makes me, and this was the eighties, right. That mm-hmm. was a decade of excess. Right. And, 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 and it's still kind of to this day, when you watch the interviews and these guys talk about almost how cool they were because they did all, we were doing all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But but this is the dark, this is the 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 dark underbelly, right? Mm-hmm. This is what happens when you do that. And think of all the great musicians, talented musicians we've lost because of drugs. And that's the tragedy, right? And mm-hmm. and any musician is gonna sound better once they've cleaned up. Think of Stevie Ray Vaughan. That last oh. year that Stevie Ray Vaughan was alive, it's a tragedy he died. But after he cleaned up, man, his playing was next level. You know, yeah, there was a clarity there that probably yeah. allowed him to, to make a, another leap. Who knows what his talent level would and, have been and, or was. And Michael Schenker, what he's done in the last 10 years is better than anything he's done since about 1983. Right. And it's again, because he's got cleaned up in the nineties when he was in a fog and was just out of it. He played crappy. He looked crappy and man, this, this is our don't say no. Or, or, or just say no. I mean, just, just say, say no. This is yeah. our just say no part of the program. Hold on. It sounds like a rat song. Yeah. Just say no. That's the tragedy. You know, he was diagnosed with HIV in the mid nineties. And it's interesting because, you know, I was not aware of the heroin use yeah. prior to that. Right. Right. And he, he, you know, based on all indications, right. He was, very hetero, right? Uh, but he was an intravenous drug user. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty sure that's how he got it. Got the HIV. and But that's not what killed him. He had been in, in and out of rehab. But when he died, they reported it that he died. He lost his battle with HIV. That's not what killed him. What killed him was a heroin overdose. Mm-hmm. And Tawny Katane talks about she would still go visit him that was another thing that was really sad Mm -hmm. is that robin was hurt that no one ever came and saw him right these are the guys that he had played with all this time they even talked about bringing him back in about 96 and this is that footage you can find of his last guitar solo where he's wearing the beret and he's gained a ton Mm -hmm. of weight Mm -hmm. and they had one rehearsal and they knew this guy can't play anymore Mm-mm. And how heartbreaking that must have been for him. 
And, and plus, when you think about the magnitude of, of what goes on and what's said after that moment, oh. because now I mentioned Lynchpin as a, a piece uh, to describe how that band was held together. And then we, we talk about the erosion of, of Robin down this road. Mm-hmm. And then you sometimes you can't see the wreck until it's in the rear of your mirror. Yeah. And so looking back, it, they not in, the, in, in interesting that they wouldn't visit him, that they didn't have, maybe there was reasons that, that they couldn't get uh, their head around going to visit. Mm-hmm. Plus they were trying to salvage or maintain a career. Uh, and that's uh, probably engaging in a lot of, uh, you know, alcohol and, and, and rock and roll at that time as well. But, but when, when in the clarity of, of the future, looking back and reflecting, well, at least Stephen and and Juan and Warren, both mm-hmm. those three look back and say that, uh, you know, losing Robin was so much he was they didn't realize how much the balance and the lyrics were. Um, Stephen's talking about, you know, the infestation album and he's in his retrospect. He said, look, we've we've tried it without our bandmates we've tried playing without the bandmates and he the original tri- uh, uh lineup and he says it wasn't the same and he in and, and he sometimes you don't know until you try that of course you certainly these guys tried a lot of different things to try and rekindle what their success had been but he he harkens it back to the fact that the loss of robin was where the lyrics and a lot of the music and he felt like there was something absent a vacuum that he had trouble recreating without that and sometimes uh, you don't know, of course, until you, you've walked that path that, hey, maybe that was pretty significant when that happened. And it did have, unfortunately, set things, other things in, in motion that ultimately led to rat becoming multi-rats or, yeah, yeah, or exactly. you know, div- yeah. division. And, and, and it's odd that they that, the, that even in that, the talent level was enough that they felt they could, could maintain um, independent groups, things like that. Yeah. This is not very, it's not often that you, you would think we could succeed with that. And that's that whole, I like the way you said that, that whole element X, right? It's more than just guitar player, guitar player, bass player, drummer, singer, right? There's chemistry that happens. And, and when you think about the great bands, to your point, once Roger Waters left Pink Floyd, they weren't the same. And you mm-hmm. could say the same about many bands. There was something that happened outside of the just, the the four individuals the chemistry that mm-hmm. you can't really quantify and i think i think what you're saying about robin is is important is he was he brought a lot of that vibe well, yeah and and stevens to the point where he's actually said he wouldn't do another rat record even in present tense without the the you know everyone in the the what's remaining living surviving, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. surviving members to to do it he said it just wouldn't be right we've tried it it didn't work not to the degree that we want in fact the the songs that he uh, credited as being more successful off the infestation album he says i re- we actually didn't write those he he, he attributed that to a, a new member mm-hmm. uh carlos Cavazos, yeah, yeah, and so, yeah, and they're saying that's the sound they liked the most. That was most rat esque, and it wasn't even a member of rat. Yeah, that's funny. But I think there's a sense that they all want to try and and circle back to this at some point, and someday we might be blessed with that in the future. Who knows? But it's for sure. I I knew that they were going to hit. They're hitting the mark again when I when I saw the Geico commercial. Yes, that's awesome. (laughs) We have a rat problem. Yeah, I love that commercial. So. I think it was 2017. They came through Spokane. I didn't go to the show, but I had friends that went. They came through Spokane and it was 
Carlos was with the band. Warren was still with the band at this point. Hmm. Steven was there. Juan was there. So it was most Bobby wasn't there, but, but most of the surviving members were there. But as recently as July, I just watched this last night. There's a concert, a rat, just a, 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 a fan shot concert, but it's actually the sound quality is really good from a state fair in Iowa or something. Mm-hmm. And it's just Steven and Juan and then a bunch of other dudes. I have no idea who, who yeah. they are. And that's that's the current touring thing. But and you alluded to this as recently as January, Steven said, hey, I want to do one more album with the surviving members of Rat. And I think that'd be cool if they could do that in a tour. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. And, you know, and it, sometimes you have to be able to put the viciousness of, of lawsuits and such behind you. There was obviously an exchange of words. I think that sometimes when you uh, some of us can argue intelligently and use logic, some of us argue emotionally and use you know slanderous terms. Um, and so I think that that most of that is the passion that goes into, into music too. The interesting thing is prior to, to the podcast, you and I were speaking, you said, I kind of wonder why is Blotzer so polarized? You know, why would they be, he's be so committed towards this own journey. And, and I looked at some of the words that were, were, <laughs> were spoken and uh, to Bobby's credit, he, he's, he, he may have borrowed some of the terms, but he, he said, suing you is a dirty job, but I'm <laughs> the man to do it. <laughs> he's on record. And you know, as saying that, I'm going like, yeah, I'd have a hard time putting that past my, my fellow band members as well exactly. as often as there were suits flying back and forth. But uh, that was, I, again, that was somewhere around the 2015 era. So I'm sure he's had time to reflect and, and maybe change that because uh, if I'm not mistaken, there, when streaming was getting popular with uh, COVID and such, we were doing shows uh, that were, since you obviously couldn't be at a concert, Whiskey A Go-Go, uh, which is a, a Sunset Strip uh, scene, obviously very popular, got in on the bandwagon with, with the streaming. And I think that it was interesting. It was rumored that Bobby Blotzer and Stephen Piercy were on the on uh, that streaming setup together, and uh, I think as evidence fell out, uh, it was true. So yeah. if if that is, then you know, the quote from that sticks to me, it sticks in my mind was Stephen saying, "Well, it's, it's a love hate." Uh, when he asked was asked to explain it, he says, "A love and love hate relationship. It's always been that. It was that, and that's where I got the idea uh, from way back in round and round and such when they had arguments about Bobby and, and wanting more different songs on the set than what the rest of the band members had. Bobby's out here on an island thinking one thing, and and he's saying things that are that are polarizing, and and now maybe there's been enough time and a guy." commercial uh okay. where they can maybe get some stuff behind them and, and who knows uh maybe we'll, we'll do a, another rat a rat album I, I hope so i hope so i i have enjoyed going back and listening to this and i'm hoping that we'll be able to to hear something else from them all right i i have to share one cool warren Martini story which i just think is awesome so I was watching an interview. This is probably three or four years old, but, but an interview that is just so cool. Uh, when he was like 16 years old, he really liked the Scorpions and he's listening to this. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the song. Uh, uh, what is it? The sales of Sharon or some. It's a really cool song. 
So as a 17 year old, this is when Yuli John Roth was in Scorpions before Matthias Jabs came in, but he loved that song. And he was looking on the back of the album and it had like an address and a phone number for a record company for the record company. So he actually calls, I don't know if you could even do this these days, but he called and gets the number and they give him Yuli John Roth's phone number. So one night here's this teenage Warren D Martini. This has got to be about 1977, 78. Mm-hmm. He gets a phone number and calls this guy in Germany just to, <laughs> just to talk to him about his playing. And uh, first of all, I think, well, good for you. Yuli talked to this kid for like an hour. And I just think it was hilarious to hear this guy who would later, you know, go on to become a famous guitar player himself, who actually had the initiative to find the phone number of Yuli John Roth and call him <laughs> in Germany and talk to him for an hour about how'd you play this? How'd you do that? And we talked to him for an hour. And, and, uh, yeah, hey, I've always wanted to know some of the inside uh, tricks of the trade. Maybe I just never had the, the, the gumption to call the number on the yeah, back of the album. <laughs> I wonder if they still do that. Maybe, yeah, maybe we should give that a shot. I'm gonna try. My kids nowadays, they won't talk on the phone. They'll only no. text. What, well, you, mean, you mean you want me to actually call and talk to someone? I can't do that. <laughs> but yeah. And he wouldn't have even had a cordless phone to do it with. He was using the old wall the old phones like we had to use. Stuck against yeah. the wall. You know, it's interesting that you said that because uh, he must have the same uh, gumption uh, uh, to do things as Sammy Hagar to chase yeah. down and say, not only am I here, I've got some songs. I've got some songs. I want to be <laughs> in your band. Yeah, totally. That's awesome. Well, JR, thanks so much for coming on. I love talking about Rat. And, and it just reminded me of how much I did like them back in the day. And, and of course, some good memories we have around Rat, seeing them. And it was a fun conversation. Well, so I've enjoyed fun. it too, Jeremy. I'll tell you what, it's always a good time when it's time spent with friends. Well, thank you very much. And we want to thank you all for listening. Send us an email, classicguitarrockatmail.com. And also check out the website, classicguitarrock.com. And you can support us on Patreon for as little as $3 a month. There's a link in the description for the podcast. So if that's something you'd like to do, check that out. And we will see you next time on the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. See you, JR. We'll see you, Jeremy. Good evening. Thanks for listening to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Oh, sweetie. Please like, subscribe, and share. You can email us at classicguitarrock at mail.com. We're not ordinary people. (laughs) We're morons. We'll see you for the next episode of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast.